I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, we will discuss the awards show where you have likely actually heard of some of the stuff up for trophies. I'm Jeff Braun. Yes, it's the Emmy nominations. We'll check out what made the cut and what got snubbed. I also want to check out Sicario, Day of the Soldado. So I'll tell you if it's a worthy sequel. Didn't you see Ant-Man and the Wasp? And that's definitely a worthy sequel. Young man, who are you? What's your name? We got no records of you. How'd you get inside this prison? Who put you down that hole? Leading the news from the couch this week, the new Stephen King-themed 10-episode miniseries Castle Rock got a new trailer this week from Hulu. It's a psychological horror series set in the Stephen King multiverse. What brings you home? I got a call from Shawshank. I found a kid in the cage. Call from who? Don't know yet. Has it begun? You heard him mention Shawshank in there, i.e. Shawshank State Prison from the Shawshank Redemption, written by Stephen King. Also, the creepy weirdo who magically appeared in the prison is Bill Skarsgård. That's the dude who played Pennywise the Clown in last year's film adaptation of It. Castle Rock is said to bring big scale mixed with character storytelling played out on a few square miles of the woodland of Maine, i.e. the fictional town of Castle Rock, where many of King's books are set. And they call it People say Lonesome town Every inch of this town Where the broken hearts stay Is stained with someone's sin That was the voice of Terry O'Quinn, by the way, a.k.a. John Locke from Lost. Cast also includes the likes of Sissy Spacek, a.k.a. the star of the Stephen King classic Carrie, and Scott Glenn. thought the devil was just a metaphor. God help me, I did. Stephen King and J.J. Abrams are the executive producers of Castle Rock, which will be based on several of Stephen King's works. It debuts on July 25th with three episodes in the U.S. on Hulu and in Canada on Space. Do you hear it now? You have no idea what's happening here, do you? I can learn to forget. The trailer for season six of Orange is the New Black came out this week. Good morning, Litchfield Max, and greetings to our new cookies. This isn't home. This is not home. Is now. When last we saw the convicts of Litchfield Prison, they were just wrapping up a three-day riot. Now, for seasons one to five, we've really only spent time in the medium security facility, as most of the prisoners were either old and not believed to be a threat, or were in for non-violent or minor violent crimes. But there is also a maximum security facility there as well. And after that riot, it looks like the main characters are all being sent there. Up in a bad, bad girl. 
different here. I've been with a delicate man. These girls are psychos. My monkey, she does four poops a day. What? First, my friends become not my friends. And then, given a color that other colors want to fight. Blues and khakis have beef with each other. Pinks are safe out there. Navigating adult female friendships is so complicated. So there's a new social game to be played with the hardened Max prisoners, plus the ongoing investigation by the authorities into that riot. Where is Alex? Don't you think it's weird we're the only people in here? They want us to go down, regardless of what we did or didn't do. I'm scared. You're gonna give up the rest of your life to protect some lousy criminal? Well, I got his enemies these days. Not everyone was big on last season. That whole season was just a few days of the riot as opposed to covering several months like other seasons have. I like that they tried something new. And anyways, Piper, the lead character, only got, I think, a two-year sentence at the beginning, so they have to drag out the timeline before she's set free. Orange is the New Black, season six, set for release on Netflix, Friday, July 27th. Sometimes I wonder whose team you really are. What else did Ruiz do? Why are you lying to me? She got to you already. They coming for me, but I'm gonna keep standing up. You don't know how strong my girls are. We have iron wheels and f***ing nothing to lose. The first trailer has debuted for Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween, the sequel to the 2015 hit based on the beloved books by R.L. Stein. In that movie, Jack Black played the author, and some kids inadvertently unleashed the Goosebumps monsters into the world by opening the books in his personal library, books which were actually prisons to contain the monsters. Black is not reprising his role of R.L. Stein for the sequel, but there are still nosy kids snooping through his now abandoned house. I don't think this place is giving out candy. And they stumble upon a book, not just any book, the book that no one was meant to find. And it's called... Haunted Halloween. Well, that can't be good for any of us. That's a possessed ventriloquist doll named Slappy. Soon all the monsters are unleashed once again, and I guess the kids have to save the world. You discovered a walking, talking dummy, and you didn't tell me? Okay, well, he seemed like a really nice guy at the start. Goosebumps 2 Haunted Halloween debuts October 12th. They're moving. So tiny and cute, what can they possibly do? Sonny, they're just gummy bears. Nothing screams Oscar like a period costume drama with accents, so we got a trailer this week for some real Oscar bait. It's Mary Queen of Scots, starring Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie. England does not look so different from Scotland. Aye, they are sisters. Queen Elizabeth, your cousin Mary has returned to take up her throne in Scotland. My dear cousin, let our nations cherish each other as we would. Two kingdoms united. 
How did the world come to this? Brave men servicing the whims of women. Mary, Mary, why you bugging? Basically, yeah, looks like a Judy Dench movie starring younger people mixed with Braveheart. Ronan plays Mary, Queen of Scots. Robbie plays Queen Elizabeth, and it gets ugly. There's also a lot of very striking wig work, if the trailer's any indication. Mary, Queen of Scots comes out December 7th. Your beauty, your bravery. Now I see there is no cause for envy. Your gifts will be your downfall. Should you murder me, remember you murder your sister. And you murder your queen. Nice pull on the run DMC. <laughs> that is the news from the couch up next. What are we doing next? Are we going ah, to we'll the Emmys? Out. Yeah, well, let's go to the Emmys. Okay, we'll check the Emmy nominations in a moment. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. And the Emmy goes to Game of Thrones. <laughs> Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. That was Dennis Franz at the Emmys in 2016, adding out the best drama series Emmy to Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones back this year was not there last year because uh, just... Uh, didn't air during the eligibility period, which is a thing. The eligibility period basically runs from July to the end of the next June, so it's like a half and half because the TV, well, yeah, and TV schedules are so screwy these days that awards seasons are starting to get kind of screwy too on that front. Yeah, Game of Thrones debuted in July and ended in August. It was uh, its seventh season was seven episodes. Uh, so it ran over the summer. So even though the Emmys were in September, mm-hmm. there was no Game of Thrones. Right. And when the Emmys run in this September, Game of Thrones won't have been on since August 2017. <laughs> yeah. And uh, weirdly enough, I was reading a thing a couple weeks ago, The Handmaid's Tale, which began in May this year and ends this weekend. So it was half in, half out kind of thing. Oh, And I guess one of the episodes that was really a, just a hardcore showcase for, uh, what's her name, Elizabeth Moss, was outside the eligibility. All the critics oh, were no. like, this is the best thing she's ever done on TV, and she can't submit it until next year for an Emmy Award. Oh, wow. Yeah, because they go episode by episode for, I think, maybe not, I think for series, the bulk of the series has to be within the eligibility, which I guess it got by on that, but for acting, it's per episode or whatever, so... Okay. There so there's that. So what do you think is going to win then for a uh, drama series? Yeah, it should be a, a two-horse race, I think, between Game of Thrones and Handmaid's Tale. The other nominees, This Is Us, The Crown, The Americans, Stranger Things, and Westworld. Stranger Things and Westworld, maybe a little, they're not the greatest shows, I don't think, but uh, especially Stranger Things, that's weird for a, an Emmy. Yeah, I enjoyed season two of Stranger Things, but I don't think it belongs oh. anywhere near this category. I think that is maybe the Emmys trying to... Just trying to make the, the awards more populist. Yeah, and get kids to watch them or something, perhaps. Yeah, um, yeah West, Westworld we can go back and forth on. It's a really, it's an ambitious show. It gets points for that. It looks terrific. It just leaves so many people cold and it's confusing and stuff. So, yeah, But This Is Us is the exact opposite of Westworld. But yeah, I'd say between Game of Thrones and The Handmaid's Tale, I don't know. I'd, that's a tough one. Handmaid's Tale is, it was, it's, I th- wonder how much recency bias has to do with people's voting. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's kind of fresh, so why don't we just put a vote down for that? And it won last year. Yeah, that's true. I haven't watched, uh, I've only watched two episodes so far in season two. When's the finale? Sunday. 
Oh, okay. This that, weekend. That's on Bravo, and that means it probably already wrapped up it in the already, States, right? Yeah, on Hulu it's done. Yep. Okay. Yeah, Game of Thrones, you would think that would be the favorite, <clears throat> given that it's just such a huge show, so popular, so well-liked, but it did take a bit of a critical, I don't want to say bashing, but it, it took more criticism this past season because I guess this was the season where it uh, it passed the uh, the books. Or was it season six that passed the books? When did they catch up to the books? <sighs> I don't. Know. I can't remember <laughs> <Me> already. <neither. laughs> I can't remember, but I, I think it was this past season where they surpassed the books, and a lot of people are saying that they're they're doing things for fan service, and it's kind of going against the spirit of the books. I don't oh know. God. They're I just w- saying that to say that because I don't read the books, and at all, it seemed as of a piece with the rest of it. Well, and George R. R. Martin was part of the, like he consulted on the process, yeah. and there were certain things that he, that have gone throughout the entire series where he wouldn't allow it. Uh, if he, you know, where he needed to approve it. So, um, but yeah, there was at least one episode, which I thought was really dumb. It was exciting, but it was just dumb. Mm -hmm. Like it didn't make any sense. I thought this is just stupid. (laughs) And it was the first time in the series where I thought this is really dumb. There have been times where they've done things that made me angry, but not dumb. Yeah. Not like angry in the sense that, oh, I wish, I wish they did other things. I wish this character wasn't so stupid, but it makes sense in the writing. This was just idiot bunch of idiots <laughs> okay so those are the shows where we've actually seen a bunch of them best comedy series where we haven't really seen a lot of them veep not there this year it won the last bunch of years but this year the nominees are atlanta barry blackish curb your enthusiasm glow that's the gorgeous ladies of wrestling the marvelous mrs Maisel, silicon valley and unbreakable kimmy schmidt uh i would vote for curb because i love curb i haven't seen most of the rest of those i've still not met someone who's seen the marvelous mrs Maisel, which won the golden globe last year and should probably be considered a front runner here well it's because it's on amazon do you know anybody who subscribes to amazon prime uh not f- if they do it's just for the fast shipping yeah, I, d- I did very briefly so I could watch American Gods last right. year. And I was the only person I knew personally who watched American Gods because uh, it's on Amazon and everybody is all over Netflix. Curb Your Enthusiasm, I mean, I love Curb Your Enthusiasm, but I think this past season was not as good as its previous effort. Right. Um, Blackish, I don't watch that. That's the only network show that's nominated. Yeah, a uh, couple of glaring omissions, The Good Place, which was one of the best shows on TV all last year, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. Especially after all the rigmarole that Brooklyn Nine-Nine went through in the last couple months where the fans came out in droves for that puppy, you'd think that uh, get some love, but no. Did Brooklyn Nine-Nine get any acting nominations? It got, you know who got a nomination for Brooklyn Nine-Nine is Sterling K. Brown as a guest actor for that episode he's in. Get out. I'm serious. That's the only one. Speaking of actors, he also is nominated for a lead actor in a drama for This Is Us, along with Ozark's Jason Bateman, Westworld's Ed Harris and Jeffrey Wright, oh, oh, Milo Ventimiglia, also from This Is Us, and Matthew Reese from The Americans. I would go all in in The Americans. I don't think they're going to actually win. I would say it's probably, they do repeats in the acting categories all the time, so look for Sterling K. Brown to win again. I, the one thing I would suggest here as a dark horse is Jason Bateman. Yeah. His work in Ozark was excellent. And we're, we're used to seeing Jason Bateman do comedy, right? Yeah. But he he kind of plays the same character. It's sort of this dry, straight man. 
but it works just as effectively in drama. Hmm. I was so impressed with his work. Like uh, every Laura Linney is in it. Great cast, but he was the standout of that show. He elevated that. That been, season two of that makes its way to Netflix very soon. I've been hesitant to watch it because, for whatever reason, I don't want to watch him as a straight man. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, unless it's in a comedy. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? I don't want to watch him in a drama. I don't know why that is. Okay. I just I watch just a, Watch like just the try first it. half hour. Yeah. I got, some, I got some vacation time coming up. Okay. Lead actress in a drama series. This is a great category. Claire Foy from The Crown. Uh, Saskatchewan's Tatiana Maslany from Orphan Black. Elizabeth Moss, who won last year from The Handmaid's Tale. Vancouver's Sandra Oh from Killing Eve. Carrie Russell from The Americans. And Ever, Evan Rachel Wood from Westworld. Um, I haven't, apparently Killing Eve is amazing. That's on my list, too. And I guess every one of these actresses is highly acclaimed i don't even know i guess it's got to be elizabeth moss's to lose since she won it last year yeah and the year before that it was tatiana Maslany, who is uh, from regina sandra O oh is from vancouver but tatiana won she'd been nominated a bunch of times finally won in 2016 but there were the orphan black was out of the eligibility for 2017 and then uh well the comedy series acting look we don't watch any of these shows except for the good place and curb your enthusiasm and ted danson is nominated for the good place and that's that's what I what I want to see the most on the Emmys is him go on stage and win an award. Yeah, that would be great. That He's just be- so good. He's so good in the Good Place. Like it, it's a great show, and it's got a great cast. And he is just like streets ahead of all of them. And nobody doesn't love Ted Danson. Come on. Yeah, he's uh, he's unflappable. It's Emmy royalty. Up next, Jeff's going to tell you about the two tiniest heroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We went and watched a couple of movies this week, so we're going to talk about that now. We're going to start with Ant-Man and the Wasp. We unleashed something powerful. The only chance we've got is together. There is another person I can think of. Wasp! Maybe I'm doing it wrong. Wasp! Wasp! You have no idea what I'm capable of. She just wanted to give me a hug. Wish me luck. Really? Yeah. Watch this. We eat people! Sorry, I'm messing around. Wish I had a suit. Even with, like, minimal powers. Or maybe even just a suit with no powers. No. Ant-Man and the Wasp, starring Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Douglas, Hannah John Kamen, Walton Goggins, Randall Park, and Michael Pena, Michael Pena, Michael Pena. He gets a lot of credit in this one. I'll get to that in a minute. It's the 20th Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, 10 years into the run, and I think it's one of the best. I admit there may be some recency bias there, but it's hard to be more fun than this one. Paul Rudd plays Scott Lang, again, a small-time crook who's also Ant-Man. He wears a fancy suit that can shrink him down to the size of an ant. It can also embiggen him. He got the suit from Dr. Hank Pym, a scientist played by Michael Douglas. His daughter is Evangeline Lilly, who has a similar suit and is known as the Wasp. Michelle Pfeiffer plays the dead mom in flashbacks. When last we saw Ant-Man, he was arrested after the shenanigans in Captain America Civil War. He's under house arrest here, and he's checked on frequently by FBI agent Randall Park. He's the guy that plays the dad in Fresh Off the Boat. He's a very funny actor. Uh, He's socially awkward and, again, very funny in this. Most everything 
everything in this movie is very funny. You sort of expect that from Paul Rudd, who's capable of having a fun-like chemistry with anyone on the planet, I think. The most serious part is the new bad guy, Ghost. It's actually a bad gal, not a bad guy, played by Hannah John Kamen. She can phase through solid objects, which sounds cool, but... It's a huge problem for her as she is in danger of phasing away entirely and she wants to steal Dr. Pym's technology to save herself. Walton Goggins, a more traditional bad guy here, he also wants to steal the technology to sell to other bad guys. So there's a three-way struggle to get the MacGuffin as Dr. Pym wants his own tech to try to find Michelle Pfeiffer in the quantum realm. There's a lot of science talk in this movie, but it's always undercut with humor or dumbed down enough that we can understand what they mean. In other words, they cover it enough to make it a plausible plot, but it never really feels too sciencey. There's mostly a lot of butt-kicking, and mostly at the hands of the Wasp. Evangeline Lilly is a natural fit for a superhero. It really did feel like she's been the Wasp for years. She was in the first Ant-Man, but she didn't get a lot of action scenes that she gets here. Uh, I didn't put a clock on it, but I would also wager that she does get more fight time than Ant-Man in this movie. And they have some good team-up scenes. Also on the good guy team... Michael Pena, another small-time crook that Scott had met in jail, I think. Uh, he runs their new security business along with David Dastmalkian. He's an actor you would recognize from being a thug and a lot of stuff. And rapper T.I. You may remember Pena from the first movie. He did all those crazy run-on storytelling scenes where everyone in the story was mouthing his words. Very funny. Uh, there's a bit of that here. Mostly it's just him reacting to stuff. And he steals the movie. Even when he's not doing anything, he makes you laugh just with his... The resting expression on his face is this little slight smile in front of an otherwise very blank expression. Uh, he may be the greatest side character the MCU has ever invented. He lifts the movie to a higher level. He really does. The Avengers movies are good, as was Civil War, but I think I really prefer these smaller MCU movies where it's just one or two heroes dealing with a smaller stakes plot. There's more room to have fun. They're looser. They're easier to just go with because you don't have to fake like you think it's actually important or something. Uh, if you're not into all the superhero movies, but you are looking for something fun, I would say you should check it out, give it a shot. Anything related to previous MCU movies that's important, they catch you up on, and there's not really much of that anyway, so you don't all you don't have to watch the first 19 movies in the series before you can go watch Ant-Man and the Wasp. There is a mid-credit scene that is tied to the other stuff, and honestly, I, if you have the time, or how should I, I don't know how to explain this, if you don't really care about all the machinations <laughs> of the other stuff, like as soon as the credits start, get up and leave because the tone shifts dramatically for this mid-credit scene and a lot of people didn't like it. And then there's one at the very end, which is completely pointless. So if, you, if you've got time to waste, you can sit there and wait for it. If you don't, you're not missing anything. So don't worry about it. Right up until the end credits, though, I thought it was a nearly perfect superhero movie. The Marvel folks have done it again for two years now. We've been talking about when's this, the fatigue going to set in? Because we're there was Star Wars fatigue this year. They do three of these Marvel movies a year now, um, but they've been they've been making them better as they go. They're taking them to a new level, mostly I think by adding a lot more humor to them, which is a stark contrast as well. Pardon the pun, stark contrast to uh, the DC Tony movies. Stark. Because look, since Civil War, we've had Doctor Strange, Guardians 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, the Avengers Infinity War, now Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's a heck of a run, and a lot of those... Uh, like event or Thor Ragnarok, Guardians 2, even Spider Man and now Ant Man and the Wasps. Those are 
comedy action movies, yeah. wouldn't you say? Oh, for sure. Yeah, So, and that's a good thing. Uh, I'll give Ant-Man and the Wasp four and a half Coach Cushions out of five. I can't wait to see oh it again. Oh, my God. Yeah. I definitely got to go see Fun. that now based on that review. Although, and it's funny, you mentioned that there was a stark shift in tone for the mid-credit scene. Didn't they do that in the first Ant-Man? Because I think, the mid, I think the mid-credit scene was a scene from Civil War. Oh, really? It was, I think, I think it was Spider-Man? Captain America... Falcon and they had the Winter Soldier like tied up or something, and then they they needed oh. help and then Falcon says, "I think I know a guy," and then that's when we saw the thing saying Ant Man will return. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, it was like we just saw this light fluffy movie and then suddenly there's this dark scene from <laughs> presumably Captain America: Civil War because we've got this bigger overarching story to tell that's very serious. It yeah. must pay homage to it. Yeah, we got to remind the viewers that it's the the MCU. And that was one of my minor nitpicks about the Avengers Infinity War is like, I wish Ant-Man was in it. Yeah. And he wasn't. So. Yeah. Maybe he's too comedic. Yeah. Guess who nobody misses? Hawkeye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, he can't do anything other than shoot arrows really straight. It's true. Uh, hey, I went to see a movie as well. What'd you see? Are you listening to the Couch Potatoes, by the way? I'm Brett, he's Jeff, and I saw Sicario, Day of the Soldado. How would you define terrorism? The current definition is any individual or group that uses violence to achieve political goal. Administration believes that the drug cartels fit that definition. The first Sicario movie debuted in 2015, directed by Quebec's Denis Villeneuve, written by Taylor Sheridan as part of his three American frontier movies, which also included Hell or High Water and Wind River. Both, all three of those movies, excellent. Sicario was about Mexican drug cartels. And it got three Oscar nominations. It starred Emily Blunt as an FBI agent recruited to an elite government task force run by Josh Brolin. The task force also included a mysterious guy played by Benicio Del Toro, whose family was murdered by a cartel kingpin. Blunt was the moral center of that movie, and she kind of pushed back against Brolin and Del Toro, who basically just wanted to go no-hold-barred. Fast forward to the sequel which is directed by Stefano Sulima. Blunt is not back, but Brolin and Del Toro are, and this time, since there's no Blunt, there are no rules. The cartels have started tracking terrorists across the U.S. border, so Brolin and Del Toro are tasked with stirring the pot. Now, the first Sicario was excellent. Got three Oscar nominations, as I mentioned, for cinematography, sound editing, and original score for the late Johan Johansson. I was excited to revisit this world when I learned that they were making a sequel and saw the first trailer. I got really pumped up. But uh, different director. I thought it was a different writer, but it's the same writer. Taylor Sheridan wrote this one, too. Different director. No Emily Blunt. And uh, after having seen it, you know, the first Sicario in 2015, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, almost universally loved. The sequel has a lower rating, 64%. I was hoping that I would say, no. I poo-poo that rating, and I'm going to like it more. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not a worthy sequel. It wasn't bad. I still yeah. enjoyed it. But I don't 
first of all, I, I don't think I saw a need for a sequel. No, I was I, when they announced it, I was like, really? Why is that movie getting a sequel? It's so weird. Yeah. But, you know, you could argue that the 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 first movie was never wasn't about Emily Blunt that it was about Benicio del Toro because he is the Sicario, he's the the hitman so to speak. So it was kind of nice to revisit his character and Josh Brolin's character. And I'll admit when I, I got I got excited when I saw them both back, and I kind of got excited when I saw that they got to go with no rules because they had to play by the rules in the first one. But at the same time, it just without having Emily Blunt, it just lacked that that moral ground yeah. and it was just bleak and kind of depressing and kind of boring at times really? yeah i don't know i just i was not as into this one as i was into the first one the first one was excellent it was tense it was exciting yep. this one had some great moments but not as good as the first one so i would say it's competent but the first one was Much stupendous better. so i would give sicario day of the soldado three couch cushions out of five Go see Ant-Man instead. Up next, there's no crying in baseball. Is there crying in the movie theater? Find out. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Went to the theater for a blast from the past this week. I saw A League of Their Own as part of July's Hanks Fest at Cineplex. Baseball is what gets inside you. It's what lights you up. You can't deny that. It just got too hard. supposed to be hard if it wasn't hard everyone would do it the hard is what makes it great Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, and a strong supporting cast, including Rosie O'Donnell, Madonna, Lori Petty, and David Strathairn, star in Penny Marshall's baseball dramedy classic about the professional women's baseball league that began during World War II. I hadn't seen this movie in years, probably 20 years, so a lot of it was very fresh for me. Rosie O'Donnell, who I usually don't care for, is actually really funny in it. Everyone else is good as well, although Lori Petty, as Gina Davis's younger sister Kit, is dialed up a little too high in some scenes. But a great movie, a lot of legit laughs, a lot of legit drama and a pretty good big game at the end for a sports movie. I'm a sucker for that sort of thing. I was thrilled to see it in theater because I remember when it used to be on TV years ago in the 90s it was that terrible pan and scan format. You remember that? Where they would take the widescreen shot and then zoom in on it to blow it up bigger and then move the camera back and forth so you could see each person as they spoke. I, I remember that A League of Their Own particularly was a major offender in that category. It just looked terrible, so awkward and disorienting. Not at all what the director intended. I'm glad they don't do that anymore. Everyone, nobody minds the black bars at the top of the screen. We're used to it. Plus, we got widescreen TV, so they're not really there anyways. Um, so that was fun. Hanks Fest, or Honks Fest, as it's known to some teenage uh, Cineplex <laughs> employees who I had a very confusing conversation with continues this week with Big that's in theaters now looking forward to that I'm going again uh, I haven't seen that since the 80s I can't recall any of the specifics other than the big piano so check your local listings if you are into that uh, it's, it's fun there wasn't a lot of people at that League of Their Own screening I was at but uh, maybe you know, maybe Big will have some more and then after that I think it's Apollo 13 and then Forrest Gump later this month so there's that cool alright a couple other things here the Fast and Furious spinoff movie starring The Rock and Jason Statham has found its bad guy. It's Idris Elba, a.k.a. Stringer Bell from The Wire. I mean, government ain't want you to be organized. Nah, they want you scrimping and scraping and killing each other on the corner on some bullshit. Not me. That's why me and Prop Joe, we're getting ready to put this co-op together. Different crews, one package. Best dope, best coke. Share, share like. 
Idris Elba is a terrific pick for a bad guy. They also got the guy who directed Deadpool 2 to direct it, and it's written by Chris Morgan. He also re- wrote uh, Fast and Furious, his is 5 through 8. In other words, he's the good writer, probably literally the only person on Earth who can thread that needle to write these movies so they're fun and not just stupid. They start shooting this fall. It hits theaters next summer, and then Fast and Furious 9 follows in 2020. Wow. Okay. Look at that. You excited for that? I'm very excited for that. The Rock and Jason Statham and Furious 8 or Fate of the Furious, they were, that was the best part of the movie. Yeah, they had some uh, sparks were flying yeah. between them. They're, they're going to have a little bit of a bromance, I think, going on. <laughs> uh, you want to check what's coming to home video? Let's do it. Hello. I'm Telly. I'm here to take care of you. I'm just not used to people doing things for me. Okay, what's that? That's Tully starring Charlize Theron as a mom who gets a nanny to help her with her new baby because she's just plain exhausted. It's a Jason Reitman Diablo Cody movie. I saw it when it was in theaters earlier this year. It's a great little movie that's got a, some cool twists in it and some great acting in it. A cool, a good little story. Uh, you'll, you can't, you, you'll enjoy it. You can't go wrong with that one. That's on digital HD on Tuesday, as is Overboard, the, the remake of the Goldie Hawn Kurt Russell movie starring Anna Ferris, which never actually played in theaters in Canada for reasons that remain unclear. That's right. We were completely baffled by that. Yeah. And I tried today I tried Googling it to try and find out how. I couldn't find anything. Yeah, like if you're gonna go and remake a, a well known movie yeah. from the nineteen eighties with a fairly well known star Anna Ferris. Why would you not make it a, a major release? <laughs> exactly. How would you cut out a whole country? I know. Bizarre. That's on Digital HD on Blu-ray and DVD on Tuesday. The Rock stars in Rampage. That's the one where uh, he's a big gorilla and him are fighting each other, but breaking down buildings and stuff. <laughs> well, they're not, <laughs> they're not fighting each other. Does he fight the gorilla? No, he doesn't fight he's, the gorilla. Is he friends with the gorilla? They're, he's friends with the gorilla. Okay. And the gorilla, I guess, has to fight the, the big wolf and the lizard or oh, whatever, yeah, yeah. alligator. Hey, his other movie, Skyscraper, is out this weekend. That actually looks cool. It does look fun. Uh, also out on Blu-ray and DVD, Amy Schumer's comedy, I Feel Pretty. Wes Anderson's animated feature, Isle of Dogs. And another comedy from Broken Lizard, it's Super Troopers 2. I miss that in theater, so I'm looking forward to catching up on that one. Oh, and by the way, uh, maybe the best part for Sicario for me was that I saw it at uh, Landmark Cinemas Theater, and I don't get to go there a lot, but this time I I just love those full recliner seats. (laughs) The full recliner seats, man, uh, It's the one problem is you are in danger of falling asleep. I didn't fall asleep, but the guy beside my buddy was out in like 10 minutes. Oh, my. 10 minutes, full snore. Also, I... uh, down the it's new, so down the road sometime, a couple of years, those chairs start getting older. How long before the reclinability breaks on one of them? What happens then? That's right, because they're fully autom- they're automated, right? It's yeah. not like a handle, All right. so those are going to break. Yeah, because so, uh, I'm especially because I'm bad. I, I'm like constantly fidgeting with it. Anyway, that's all the time we have. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. <laughs>